We're in our, continuing in our overwhelmed major lessons from the Minor Prophets series this morning. Anyone in here know who Inspector Poirot is? Inspector Poirot, the name ringing it. Few Agatha Christie fans, maybe. Yeah, now you maybe remember it. Inspector Poirot is the character at the center of Agatha Christie's novel and the recent movie, Murder on the Orient Express. And uh, he's an observant, deductive uh, inspector, as you would expect an inspector to be. And at one point, uh, someone asks him, you know, how are you so effective in your role as an inspector? How is it that you're able to solve crimes that, you know, other people aren't able to solve? And his answer is an interesting and a simple one. He says that he is able to see things the way they should be, or he sees things the way they ought to be. Then he makes this statement. He says, this is a curse in life, but a substantial help in solving crimes. And here's what he means by that. It's a help in solving crimes because he can show up at a crime scene and when something doesn't look, it's inconsistent, it doesn't look like it should look, it jumps right out at him. Uh, Something's out of place or maybe a person's story that they tell doesn't exactly match what he sees and because he sees things the way they ought to be or the way they should be, it immediately jumps out at him like black words off a white page that it's not right. But it's a curse in life, he says, because the man can't even sit down and eat a decent dinner if there's not perfect symmetry between the utensils on the table and the food and the plates because it's not as it should be and it bothers him. Or he can't even have a conversation with someone whose tie is crooked without adjusting it because he sees things as they ought to be. Maybe you're like this too. Uh, This happens in my life in some ways that I I tend to, in my mind anyway, see things the way they should be, especially happens when Wendy and I were looking for a new home to live in. Uh, She would walk in and uh, we just see things differently. I, I would say I see things the way they should be. So I walk in and I'd be like, well, this wall needs to come down and this has to happen here and we need to improve this. And I've put 10 additions on our house, even though I've never built one, in my head because I just have this thing of looking at things and seeing them the way they should be. And this is maybe true in life with you. Maybe you see some things and some people say to you, why can't you just let it go? Just let it go. But you can't for some reason. Because you see things, and you're like, no, this isn't right. When we come this morning to another one of the minor prophets, uh, this man's name is Habakkuk, or Habakkuk. I'll probably say it both ways, or somewhere in between. Uh, People will say it both ways. And Habakkuk or Habakkuk. We come to a man who I think has something quite in common with Inspector Poirot. He sees things the way they should be. And when something isn't the way it should be, it strikes him and he has to do something about it. At the time when this man Habakkuk is living uh, is again the history of the Israelite people. It's hundreds of years before Jesus would come and God is dealing with his people, the Israelites. He's chosen them to 
be a representative for him on earth and bring his message to people and to live for him. And Habakkuk's living at a time where, honestly, the people of God are not living in the way that the people of God should live. The things are bad. Uh, evil is being propagated and perpetrated. And it seems to be going unchecked in Habakkuk's eyes. Uh, bad people seem to be doing all right. And good people, righteous people, seem to be suffering harm. And it doesn't look right. Now, we might say it in our words that it looks like crime does pay. That the criminals are not only getting away with it, but they're prospering as a result of it. And this is a problem for Habakkuk who looks and he says, this isn't right. These are your people. And uh, this something needs to be done about this. God, you need to do something about this. And so Habakkuk uh, does something that some of the other prophets doesn't, don't really do. Uh, in the last few weeks as we've come to the minor prophets, we often see a prophet as someone speaking to people on behalf of God. When we come to Habakkuk, we come to a man who is speaking to God on behalf of the people. And we actually kind of eavesdrop on his prayer to God, maybe more correctly, a uh, complaint to God. And he's complaining to God. How many of you have ever complained to God? How many of you are lying right now and you have, but you don't want to say you have? Uh, I think sometimes some of the praying we do could better be characterized maybe as just a little bit of spiritual complaining. And that's what Habakkuk does. In fact, if you turn in your Bible to Habakkuk 1, many of the versions will uh, label the first part of the book Habakkuk's Complaints. If you want to turn in your Bible that's in the chair there, I think it's page 785 is where you'll find the book of Habakkuk there. And so Habakkuk looks around and he sees things that don't look the way they should look. And he basically says, what's up with this? This ought not to be so. And God, you don't seem to be doing anything about it. If last week we looked at this idea of what do you do when disaster strikes, this week we're looking at what do you do when there seems to be evil and pain around in the world and God doesn't seem to be doing anything about it. Habakkuk turns and complains. He says, O oh Lord, how long shall I cry for help and you will not hear or cry to you? Violence! And you will not save. Why do you make me see iniquity? And why do you idly look at wrong? In other words, why are you allowing this God? Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise. So the law is paralyzed and justice never goes forth. The wicked surround the righteous. So justice goes forth perverted. He's essentially saying, God, aren't you seeing this? Aren't you seeing what I'm seeing? It's like people uh, watching a sports game where the ref uh, always seems to be missing the calls. And someone yells out, hey, Blue, there's a good game going on here. Why don't you watch it? 
You know, or, hey, ref, you're blind. You know, you get all the comments that come out. Of course, they're always coming out when he misses a call for your team. But that's kind of what Habakkuk is doing. God, don't you see what's going on? Look at the world around. This isn't the way it's supposed to be. Evil is prospering. Bad people are, are, are making, you know, prospering. And you are at least allowing it, maybe perpetrating it. God, where are you? God, what are you doing? So he takes his complaint to God. Some people think it's wrong or a sin to come to God with our questions or our complaints. I don't think so. I think God's big enough to handle it. I think God is big enough to answer our questions and handle our complaints when you come to him. But maybe you ever feel, maybe you feel the same way sometimes to God. You look around at the times Maybe you leave here on a Sunday morning and you're all excited and, and pumped up and, hey, yeah, everything's changed and build your kingdom here and we've sung and we've fellowshiped and we've, you know, we've heard the word preached and we're excited. But then you go home and nothing's changed and the world still kind of looks like a mess and you pop on the news and something else has happened and Seems like that things are pretty bad. And then maybe in your personal life, you look around and things haven't changed there either. Things are still hard. And you say, are you seeing this, Lord? Are you going to let them get away with it? How long are you going to let this go? That's what Habakkuk does. He complains to God and then asks God, how long will this go on? It isn't right. What are you going to do about it? Then God answers. But have you ever had God answer you and then not liked the answer you got? You ever ask God a question or bring him your complaint and he gives you an answer, but it's not really something you want? God tells Habakkuk, look among the nations and see wonder and be astounded, for I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe if told. And the truth is, when God tells Habakkuk what he's about to do, he does not believe it because he can't believe what God is about to say of what he is going to do. God answers him, and he tells Habakkuk, he says, look, I see the evil that's happening. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm sending in a foreign people called the Chaldeans, and I'm going to send them in, and they're going to invade your country they're going to take over your country, and they're going to take you into captivity. Habakkuk doesn't really like this answer to his complaint or his question for two reasons. One, nobody ever likes to have someone else take over their country. That's a problem. But maybe he's a magnanimous man of God who can say, okay, if this is the way it has to be, if we've got to be disciplined, and, and this is what's going to happen, okay, Lord. But the real problem is who God chose to do it. Chaldeans were, on the scale of morality, ringing the bell in the worst sort of way. Uh, they were not only selfless, heartless, unjust, abusive, exploitive, and ruthless. They didn't worship God. They worshiped foreign gods and idols. And it's as if God is saying, look, I'm going to take these people who are even worse than you, and I'm going to bring them in to teach you a lesson. I'm going to bring them in to teach you a lesson. And Habakkuk doesn't really like that answer. Sometimes I think God answers our prayers and we just don't like the answer. 
Sometimes God will answer your prayer, and we just don't like the answer. He'll, he'll answer your prayer to change your, you know, he'll, he'll, he'll pray out, God, I, I don't know what's going on around me. Things are hard. Things are difficult. And then he comes with an answer that we may not like. There's a man named Paul in the New Testament that went about a lot of church planting, and God used him in a great way. But at one point, he says that uh, he had something he called a thorn in the flesh, and we don't entirely know what that is. It could be a physical malady he had. It could be some other personal relationship or thing in his life. Whatever it was, it was something that was caused him a lot of pain that he went to God and asked to have it removed. Not once, not twice, but he says three times. This great man of God, this man who probably planted more churches in the early church, maybe than anyone who's ever planted churches. And uh, he said, God, would you take this away from me? Complain, pray. And God said, um, no, I've allowed it. And uh, leave it alone. He said, my grace is sufficient for you. Sometimes we go to God with our prayers and we just don't like the answers that we get. There's another time where Jesus was walking with his disciples. We just sang a song about build your kingdom here. Well, Jesus' disciples were concerned about the kingdom. And two of them came and said, Jesus, when you come into your kingdom, uh, can we sit on your right and your left, those positions of power? Like, we know we're not as powerful as you, but like right on your right and left, we want to be there right with you. We want to be in those positions of power. And Jesus said, guys, I'm going to a cross. I'm going to die on a cross. That's where I'm going right now. Sometimes we go to God with our questions and our complaints, and we just don't like the answer that we get. And that was the case with Habakkuk. He went and he complained to God. He didn't like the answer, and sometimes we're in the same situation. God, there's this person in my life who's really causing me problems. They're not nice to me at all. God says, I want you to love your enemies. God, there's this person who hurt me and I can't face them. God says, I want you to forgive the way that I've forgiven you. God, I really want to get this person back and you know and I know that they deserve it. And God says, leave vengeance to me. Don't go take revenge yourself. There's times we go to God with our complaints about our circumstances, and God answers, but we just don't like the answer we get. So then Habakkuk, our fearless leader, cries out to God again, and uh, he basically says, God, I've uh, heard what you said, and I've got another problem here. Uh, he says in verse 13, you who are purer eyes than to see evil and cannot look at wrong why do you idly look at traitors and remain silent when the wicked swallows up the man more righteous than he? So, okay, we're bad, God, but now you're going to send the people who are worse to swallow us up? Like, this doesn't make any sense. The solution is worse than the problem. You haven't answered my questions. All you've done is created more questions. So this is, how, this is Habakkuk's second complaint. And he wages it against God, and then he says, 
I will take my stand at my watch post and station myself on the tower and look out to see what he will say to me and what I will, and what I will answer concerning my complaint. Essentially, Habakkuk says, God, this doesn't make any sense. I've got a problem with it. What's your answer? I'll wait. And this is Habakkuk saying, I'll wait, God. I'll station myself at the watch post, and I'll wait for your answer. I want to know, because this doesn't make any sense. And maybe that's the case sometimes in our lives, that we see what God's doing, and it doesn't make any sense. And God answers again. He answers again, and he says, and the Lord answered me, write the vision, make it plain on tablets, so he may run who reads it. For still the vision waits for its appointed time. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. Behold, his soul is puffed up. It's not upright within him. But the righteous shall live by faith. Moreover, wine is a traitor, an arrogant man who is never at rest. His greed is as wide as Sheol. Like death, he is never enough. He gathers for himself all nations and collects as his own all peoples. I put in yellow there, just kind of highlighting three really responses God is giving to Habakkuk. The first response he gives him is, is just says, wait, wait. He essentially says, Habakkuk, there's something more coming. And though it seems delayed, wait for it. In other words, God says, this isn't the end of the story. Don't judge the whole story. Don't judge the author on just one chapter. Don't, don't think that because you see what's happening in one chapter that you can somehow cast judgment on the whole story or the author that's writing it. He says, wait. Even if it seems slow, wait. The second thing he says is the righteous shall live by his faith. Yep, things are bad around. Yep, there are people where it looks like crime pays. There are people doing some things that they shouldn't be doing, and it looks like they're prospering because of it. But for you, Habakkuk, the righteous shall live by faith. You stay faithful to God. You keep acting rightly, because that'll bring life to you. Because in the end... That'll result in life. And the third thing he says is, uh, in a sense, agreed. Chaldeans are bad people. They're not, they're not living for me any more than the people of Israel are right now. And yep, they're bad people. But then he goes on to say in verses 6 through 19, this isn't the end of the story. There's a judgment coming for them too and for their crimes. There's a time coming when crime won't pay when things will be made right. They've built up a debt of evil and a time coming when the debt's going to be called and they won't be able to pay it. But ultimately, God's answer to Habakkuk's complaint, his answer to him crying out to God, is wait. Wait. There's more coming. This isn't the end of the story. Perhaps not a very satisfying answer. To us. Ever have those people in your lives when you're going through a difficulty 
seem to answer with platitudes. God's got this. Let go and let God. Where God guides, God provides. And they're catchy. But they're not always helpful. Sometimes they sound a little annoying. There may be truth in them. I think there is truth in them. But in our moment there, we don't see the truth in those statements. But that's what God tells Habakkuk. Wait. He says the same thing to you and I. Maybe not a very satisfying answer at first. But he sees the same things you see. Not blind to it. In fact, the answer to Habakkuk isn't that God was blind to what was going on or that he didn't care about what was being done. It was that he wasn't done writing the story. And that was the, really the answer. The answer was not, and for us too, it isn't that God's blind to the difficulties in the world and the difficulties in your life. It isn't that God doesn't care about what's going on in the world or what's going on in your life personally. It may just be that God's just not done writing the story. And so wait. And even though it seems slow in coming, wait. So that was the command to Habakkuk. That's what he should do. What did he do? Well, all of chapter 3 is what Habakkuk did do. And it may surprise you. But what he did? Well, he sang. He sang and he wrote a song. Singing about God and about the things of God. In fact, all of chapter 3 of Habakkuk, we would call it maybe a psalm. But it was a song that was written by Habakkuk. At the end of it, at the very end of the uh, the chapter, the very end of the book, it says, to the choir master with stringed instruments. He had written a prayer that was to be a song that was to be sung to stringed instruments. God told him to wait, and that's what he did. He sang. It's hard to tell whether his song is about past events or future events, but he sang about the things of God. Maybe the things that had happened that God had done the things that he believed that would come, that God would do. But he sang. He sang a song. And at the end of that singing, when he's done with his song, uh, the very end and the very last verse, nothing had changed. I mean, nothing as far as his circumstances had changed. I mean, he wrote a song and nothing had changed. People around him were still perpetrating whatever they were perpetrating before. The pain and evil in the world was still the same as it was before. And maybe that's the case with you sometimes. You, you walk out this door. Sometimes you feel like everything should have changed, but nothing changed. The strained relationship is still strained. The comments on the Facebook wall or the post are still there. The mean letter is still stuck in your desk someplace. Bills are still unpaid. Walk out, nothing's changed. 
for Habakkuk. He wrote this song, and as far as we can tell, the circumstances hadn't changed. But even though things hadn't changed around him, something had changed within him because his complaint went away and changed to these words at the end of Habakkuk in chapter 3 and verse 17. And he says this. You can skip to the verse 17 there. Habakkuk 3, 17. He says, Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food, the flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herds in the stall. Yet, I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on my high places. Nothing had changed around him. The fig trees, they're not blossoming. No fruit, no food around no flock in the stalls, no herds. But then verse 18, and say that first word of that verse with me. Yet, yet I will rejoice. I think we should have that word yet stamped someplace. Yet, what an important word in that word. Yet, the things haven't changed. It's, it's not a therefore, it's a yet. It's not a because of, it's an in spite of. It's a yet, I will rejoice in the Lord. Stalls are still empty. Look out the window, no grapes on those vines. Yet I will still rejoice in the Lord. And what changed? Well, what changed was Habakkuk had gone from complaining to remembering. Remembering who God was. Remembering what God had done. And, his and his, so his petition turned to praise. And it went to, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. His circumstances had not changed, but what he realized is neither had his God that God was still in control as much as he was before. The Bible says it uh, similar words uh, to us in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. As we come into Thanksgiving week, this is perhaps my favorite verse in all the Bible about Thanksgiving, where Paul says, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Sometimes people will come and say, Pastor, I just want to know God's will for me. And that's always an easy question for me to answer. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. doesn't say give thanks for all circumstances, but give thanks in all circumstances. That as you walk through them, that you would remember that God is not finished yet. God is still writing the story. That as you remember all that God has done for you and all that he is, that you are able to give thanks 
in the midst of those circumstances. When you walk out this door, things may not have changed the way you've been praying and hoping that they would. And yet, that we would remember that neither has God. That he's the same. He's still in control. So maybe it's not grapes on the vines and cattle and herd and the pens. But maybe you walk out and it says, though the market tanks and my 401k has lost value, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. Though I didn't get another call back from another job interview, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. Though I didn't get the position that I thought I deserved and I was passed over once again for it, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. Though the diagnosis has not changed, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. Though we still not have been able to conceive, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. Though the pain and loss of our loved one is still fresh and raw, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. Though our child is still suffering with Down syndrome or autism or other mental difficulties, I, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. That we as Christians and as followers of Jesus are able to do this. And you say, why? How can anybody do this? Well, I say two reasons. One is what Habakkuk says. He says that God, the Lord, is my strength. Can't do it in your own power. Can only do it because God gives you strength to do it. But the reason we can do it, well, the reason we can do it goes back to Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 4, that little place, phrase that I highlighted where he says, the righteous will live by faith. And see, a little later on, the apostle Paul, several hundred years later after the cross of Jesus, is going to come back to that verse. And Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for salvation of everyone who believes, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. For in the gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, and he quotes Habakkuk, the righteous will live by faith. And so maybe you come to Habakkuk like I do in verse 2-4, and you say, yeah, the righteous will live by faith, but... God, I'm neither righteous nor faithful. I've come up short in both areas. I've not been completely righteous, and I sure haven't been completely faithful. But here's what Paul says. The righteousness comes from God. And the faithfulness is the life that Jesus lived. And when you put your faith and trust in him, that is the gospel that you receive his righteousness and his faithfulness, which was perfect. And so you are made right with God. And so the reason I can rejoice in all circumstances, it's not because everything's great, not because I know this side of heaven that everything's going to turn out great. 
but because I know that there's something that has been given to me, not by anyone or anything in this world that cannot be taken away by anyone or anything in this world, and that is God's love, his righteousness, and his faithfulness, and his son Jesus, and my eternity with him. And that is secure and can't be touched by anything in this world. So in all circumstances, you can rejoice, and I can give thanks because of what God has done, no matter what is done to you or I here. As we uh, close out this service, uh, this service, I want to show you a little video clip. And during the video clip, I'll ask the music team to come during as the video is playing. But I want you to show you just a three-minute clip because you might say, well, what is this? how does this lived out practically in the life of a Christian? What's it look like? It's going to look different for all of us, and some of us will experience it in different variations. I think we'll all come to places where we may pray to God that our circumstances would change, and he may give us an answer that may not be the one we want to hear, but he doesn't change our circumstances immediately. This video, this short clip is a true story. It's based on a man named Richard Wormbrand. Uh, Richard Wormbrand lived in communist Eastern Europe, came to know and follow God, take a stand for God publicly, and because of that, he was arrested and tortured for some 14 years trying to get him to recant his faith. Uh, and uh, he later became the founder of an organization, some of you may have heard of, called Voice of the Martyrs, and his story is written in a book called Tortured for Christ. Uh, but in this three minutes as you watch this video, uh, see a man who is in a situation that I'm sure he prayed many times that God would change. God uh, acted differently in that situation. It's a little bit graphic, it's a little bit strong, but I don't think it's anything you probably haven't seen in maybe other contexts and things, and this is a true story of what happened to Richard but quite honestly, what happens and is happening uh, to followers who name the name of Jesus around the world today uh, in certain places of the world. So, let's play this video. In these my darkest hours, my only hope was in prayer. in prison, prayer was forbidden. In spite of the beatings, I prayed every day. I prayed God would give me strength to endure. And of course, I prayed for my family. feet were beaten so often and so brutally, I would never walk normally again. I'm sorry if a crocodile eats a man, but I cannot reproach the crocodile. 
I had learned the same can be said of my torturers. Communism had stripped them of any form of humanity. And only God's love could restore them. I hated the sin, but never the sinner. And some we even won to Christ. I got to imagine that somewhere in those 14 years that many times that Richard would have prayed, Lord, Change my circumstances. Lord, this isn't right. Lord, set me free. Lord, get me out. And yet God's answer may have been that last verse on that screen many times. Love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. Sometimes we don't like. It's not the answer we're looking for from God. But God's not finished writing the story. There's uh, many times we might find ourselves in situations where we're wondering what God is doing. And we may go to God and ask him to change. And this, I didn't expect this. And I didn't deserve this. All other kinds of things. What we must remember is that God is not finished. And he has not changed. Many words in Scripture that can be a comfort to us in those times. Let me share some of them with you as we close our time out this morning. When you are scared, be reminded that God says, Fear not, I have redeemed you. Isaiah 43.1 When you are in a difficult, dark, and lonely place, remember David's words. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Psalm 23, 4. When you feel weak, remember, God gives power to the faint and to him who has no might, he increases strength. Isaiah 40, 29. When you feel unloved and unlovable, remember the Lord is good and his love endures forever. Psalm 105. When you feel like this world is unfair, Remember, Jesus said, in the world you will have troubles and tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. John 16, 33. When you feel alone, remember, the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Joshua 1, 9. 
When you are stressed, recall Jesus' words, come to me, all of you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Matthew eleven twenty eight. When you are sad, remember God heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. Psalm 147, 3. When you are faced with a need, remember, God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Philippians 4, 19. When you are unsure of what to do, recall that if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God who gives generously to all. James 1, 5. When you feel guilty, remember, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. 1 John 1, 9. When you worry about death, remember, God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. John 3.16 These are the words of God to you. Your circumstances may change around you. I don't know what you're going to face when you walk out these doors today or this week or this month or this year and the truth is neither do you. But I know that God's word towards you has not changed. And so as we close out our service and as we respond to the word of God today, my prayer is that when you find yourself in a situation and you cry out to God and you maybe even complain to God and you get up from that prayer time and your circumstances look like they have not changed, my prayer is that for each of us we will hang on to that unchanging God who has not finished writing our story or more correctly is not finished writing his story and so it's not finished yet so wait 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 on God wait with God give thanks in the circumstances God is at work Lord would you Lord speak to each of us today Father, would you reveal to us those places in our lives? Father, where we, God, are, just need to wait on you and remember that you are not finished. And even though the circumstances outside of us have not changed, that you are in control and that you are God. We trust you, for you are our good, good Father. In Jesus' name.